show back in the house with another great guest michael o'brien's in the building folks michael o'brien is doing some amazing things to impact this world and help a lot of people um through through reducing stress or eliminating stress right through basically he says breathe in breathe out it's time to stress less and pause breathe reflect with michael o'brien michael is a qualified meditation teacher executive coach speaker endurance athlete and creator of the pause breathe reflect meditation and gratitude app he loves helping leaders accomplish badass things through mindfulness, and he's my friend, and I'm honored to have him here. Michael, welcome to the show. Uh, C-Rock, good to see you, brother. Thanks for having me on. I can't wait to get into this. Yeah, man. Well, look, let's, uh, let's do it, man. I want to know why you are doing this thing, focused on helping so many people, reducing stress. You know, I, I, I think you're more important than doctors, because doctors are after the incident happens, generally. You're, 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 you're really like causing people not to have to need doctors and medication as much. So I'd love to hear how you got into this. But before I do that, Michael, I got to ask you the question that's written on the wall behind me. What are you made of? Well, stardust, brother, you know, we're, we're all made of stardust. But to dive deeper into the question, you know, there's a part of me that is made from my parents, right, on their work ethic, um, a higher power, if we want to call it a higher power or whatever people would call it. Um, my role as a dad, my girl dad times two, husband for 30 years coming up in May. So all those different experiences and qualities make up who I am. And of course, we'll get into it. What I call my last bad day, my near-death experience gave me um, a lot to think about as far as how I want to show up in the world. So that's definitely part of what I'm made of. So I like to think I'm like Kintsugi, the Japanese art form. I've uh, broken along the way, but I've been put back together and I'm still in a pretty damn good, beautiful state. And and having two girls, by the way, what are your ages of your daughters? 23 and 26. Okay, so you've so, been along, yeah. along the journey yeah. there. So what what, yeah. if, what is having two daughters, not just one, two daughters, how has that changed you? Well, one thing it did, it changed me as a corporate leader. So before doing what I'm doing now, I, I was in the trenches in corporate leadership, executive leadership, and I had a team of close to 1,000 people and a P&L of close to $4 billion. So back before I had our girls, we had our girls, the whole idea of culture was important to me. But when they came into our lives, the understanding as far as promoting and advocating for women's voices in the corporate space, I started off thinking, oh, that would be a good thing to do because I want a better world. I want more opportunities for my girls. And as they got older, I was like, okay. And I got more into this. And then I realized, this is a good thing to do for business because to have as many voices around the table as possible helps you become smarter about the challenges you face. Today, I just think it's the right thing to do to be a good human to other humans. So 
they sort of underscored exclamation point, whatever you want to call it, the the burning drive that I have to create cultures of inclusion where we're coming together in what is now a very divided world. So the work I do today was completely informed by them popping into our lives. Yeah, I love that, man. You know, when you talked about coming around the table and more people around the table, it, it reminded me of a mastermind and we understand the power of mastermind and Napoleon Hill talked about it in Think and Grow Rich way back when. Why haven't businesses understood the power of mastermind and having more people around the table to, to, to use everybody's brain together and collaborate? Why did it take so long for people to figure that out? Well, I don't think they've really figured it out just yet in business. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be honest. When I left my corporate world, so 22 years in corporate America, popped out as an entrepreneur, had to learn this thing called social media. And then people were talking about, hey, are you part of a mastermind? And I was like, what the heck is that? That was, that was language that did not exist. And I think to this day still does not exist in corporate life. The whole idea of like coming together with other business owners and other corporations, we just don't, we just don't do it. And I think there's a little bit of a red ocean mentality that a lot of folks have, you know, you've probably heard the book, read the book, Blue Ocean. Mm -hmm. So this red ocean scarcity mindset that I think exists in a lot of corporations that I don't want to be at the table with other people that are doing things maybe in a similar way to how I'm doing is at least the space. I don't want to give away any of my trade secrets or anything like that. So we tend to like hunker down with our own. We try to get around the table with like-mindedness. And what I think we really need to do is get around the table with like-heartedness. Those types of humans who are open to different mind-mindedness, that's how we grow. So yeah, corporate America hasn't caught on to this. This is a great maybe the you know a secret if you will that's not so much of a secret but i think corporate america could benefit greatly if they embraced the concept and execution of masterminds a little bit more widely yeah and and I, i'm going to get off track just for a minute because i do want to talk about pause be, breathe and reflect and how you got there and all that but i gotta i gotta dive into this for a second if you don't mind so you know how this country a lot is, is run by now by corporate corporate money. And, and and do you think that if, if they didn't have such a scarcity mindset, that it wouldn't be this big race to get politicians on their side and get policy on their side and all this other thing, they changed from somehow maybe from the foundation and you got in there with pause, breathe and reflect. And then we started talking more about this. Do you think that would trickle up and then change the way the country is run? Oh, definitely. I think the money that's involved, the money in terms of the currency for influence and power, because the attitude is there's only so much to go around. That's the reason why I think we're divided is that people believe there's only so much to go around. So I'm going to grab mine. I'm going to use my money, my power to make sure that my slice of the pie at minimum stays the same, but hopefully grows. But if you take an more abundant mindset as you do to say, hey, listen, we can all show up. A rising tide lifts all ships. We can all do better. Too many ways and in too many areas, corporate life and then some other, you know, politicians too, 
have a scarcity mindset to say, I got to, I got to just get mine. That's my whole focus. They have that scarcity mindset, not an abundant one. And if we could flip the switch to more abundant thinking, I think a lot of our problems will get minimized and we can find a way to come back together because Hey, the challenges that we have, you know this, and the people listening know this, we got big challenges in front of us. We need as many really bright people around the table to figure out how to solve it um, because we're going into uncharted waters, especially as you think about how do we have a relationship with AI that is beneficial to the human race? Yeah, 100% agree. All right, so take us through the story of your last bad day. Share with us how did that you know, lead into pause, breathe, and reflect? Well, back in the day, C-Rock, I too had a scarcity mindset. So I was on my hamster wheel. I was that my value in life was in the stuff I had. I thought if I just got that extra promotion or bought the car or what have you, it's how a lot of people think back in 2001 and actually still current day, that I would be happy. I would be successful. I would be seen. And I was doing it. I was doing that thing. And it was sort of working well, but I didn't know how to handle stress. And it was never taught about how to handle stress. So I just packed the stress inside. I'd either push against it, deny it, or as I like to say, put a rock in my backpack. Be like, ah, yeah, it's stressful. I get it. It's part of the gig. I'll, I'll worry about it later. And I just carried this backpack around with me. And at times I just forgot how heavy it was because it was just, it was normal. And then I went to an offsite meeting in New Mexico. I've always been an avid cyclist, brought my bike out. Other guys brought their golf clubs out. And on one morning, July 11, 2001, a Ford Explorer crossed the center line of the road going about 40 miles an hour and hit me head on. And I remember so much of that morning, Mike, the sound of me hitting his grill, the sound I made when I went into the windshield and blew a hole through it. That's how hard I hit the truck. Uh, the screech of his brakes, the thud I made when I came to the asphalt below and that, that knocked me unconscious. And when the EMTs arrived, they told me to breathe. So I asked him, how's my bike? That's a question only another cyclist can totally appreciate. But they're like, we've called the medevac, the helicopter to take you to Albuquerque. Just try to breathe and we're going to try to help you. And I knew like my life was in balance. I thought this could not be happening. This is not part of my script. These things happen to other people, right? This doesn't happen to me. I'm the one that gives the thoughts and prayers to other people. The other thing that's probably a little disturbing was I was worried about what my colleagues would say because I was going to show up late for the meeting. Mm -hmm. That's sick. It's like, here I am literally fighting for my life. I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're going to say when I don't show up for the meeting. They're going to judge me. And they flew me to Albuquerque. First surgery took about 13 hours. I needed 36 units a blood product um, to save my life and save my leg. I broke a whole bunch of everything, including I lacerated the femoral artery of my left leg. I can't 
came out of the ICU about four and a half days later. The doctor said, listen, we don't know how you survived. Had you been 10 years older or not healthy, you would have died before you got here because you lost so much blood and your injuries were so, so intense. You're probably going to walk with challenges. You're not going to get on the bike again. Uh, and you're going to have a lot more surgeries in front of you. And life is going to be really challenging. And I, I didn't know how to like absorb it all. And, you know, long story short, we found a way through, which we can talk about further. Um, but in 2022, I rode my bike across uh, America and I'm only a few months away from riding a 350 mile gravel bike race in Kansas. So um, I got back on the bike and I'm walking just fine. Awesome, man. Gravel, gravel. Driving a bike on gravel is a pain in the butt, man. You just, I, I actually, listen, I rode a bike a lot as a kid, right? And then I, I've cycled a little t- tiny bit. But but for some reason, when you said gravel, I could actually feel the bike tire moving, you know how it does? I just felt yeah, that feeling. Oh, it's totally, wild. totally. So like wild. they give they give you 35 hours to finish. So it's wow. 350 miles in the Flint Hills of Michigan. It's called Unbound Exile. You got 35 hours to get it done. And I plan to get her done. You so know, it's at 10 miles an hour, right? Yeah, average. you average 10 miles an hour. You but you got to factor in like pit stops. And mm-hmm. if you get a flat tire or two and whatnot. Yeah. But it's it's a doozy. It's it's going to be it's going to be epic. And I'm so oh, awesome. I'm stoked well, for it. I am uh, in a healthy way nervous about it. But we're going to. We're going to make it happen. But yeah, part of my recovery and part of my success as an executive was really due to mindfulness and my practice of pause, breathe, reflect. Yeah. So we'll get into that right next, but I got to say something on what you just said about when, what was going through your head as you were in the accident, like this, this can't be happening to me. This isn't how I'm going out. I'm not going to get into details about this accident, but I was rolling over with the whole family in, in the SUV one time, three times, land on the roof, skidded. And as I was doing that same thing, it's like, oh, I ain't going out like this. This isn't happening to me. Because like the day before or two days before, we heard about a family that had a head-on collision and the whole family died in a vehicle. And here on Father's Day 2014, I'm coming home from the beach doing the same thing. And I'm like, I, that thought of that other family, right, ran through my head. And I'm like, oh, that, uh, this is not happening to me. You know, so I I, uh, I can relate to that thought because I don't know if I, it's just a common thing when you're going through some kind of traumatic incident. Well, but... yeah, I think one, I think we're here in the West. We tend to deny the fact that we're all going to pass away one day. Like we, we don't really embrace our mortality. It's like, oh, it's not going to happen to me. Like, I know I'm going to die, but not today. Uh, that happens to other people. And so what I've learned through this whole recovery, is it's, it's okay to say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to be here forever. None of us are. We're all crossing the same finish line. And what's remarkable when you do that, you embrace life even more fully. So when you accept that the inevitable will happen, then you get dang serious about how you're living right now because you don't know when your last day is going to be now i don't live every day like i'm living my last day because 
on that last day, I'd probably be having a whole bunch of pancakes and stuff like that. And you can't eat that way every day, or you're going <laughs> to gain some LBs. But the whole concept of like stepping into this day, because you know, you got this day, uh, you're not promised any other days. And through my experience, I was like, all right, yeah, the inevitable will happen. In the meantime, I want to show up fully for life right now and put as much goodness into the world as I possibly can, because that ripple continues long after I, I leave this planet. Yeah, no, I love it. So, and I, I'll point out something. I go to funerals, some, you know, when I go to funerals and I always get charged up at funerals, obviously the sad and depending on how close the person was to me, you go through grief and, but, but I always get charged up at funerals because you're closer to death and you realize that. And then you, yeah. you're like, okay, well, I came up with the saying thrust is a must. And mm, I, um, I think I have it here. Sound effect. Thrust is a must <laughs> because I, I got to move. We got to move to where we're going. No stress, of course. And we're breathing, of course, but we have to move because who knows how much longer we have. So I don't want to take it time to waste. So, but they charged me up, but then I was reading, there's a, there's a book called uh, the daily laws by uh, Robert green, who wrote the 48 laws of power. And one of the days that you read something every day, one of the days was like, get close to your mortality, like get really close and, and, and it'll change everything for you. So I love the connection there. What did yeah, you, I love that. how did you, how did you, uh, then from there turn it into pause, breathe, reflect, like take us through that journey and leaving corporate and all that. Yeah. So I was still in the hospital. I was at a rehab hospital where the rehab hospital where they took Christopher Reeves when he had his equestrian event, this goes back a number of years. So I'm totally dating myself, but he was my Superman, right? So yeah. he went there. I was there. I was in full rehab mode and I was completely overwhelmed. C-Rock. I was, so many people were telling me like what I needed to do and to do this and not that and all that jazz as far as how to recover see this doctor, no, not that doctor, this doctor, and do this and eat this. And it's like, oh my gosh, I, I like, how do I start? Because I knew I had a really long journey in front of me. So I took a page out of my youth as an athlete. And here's the thing, when you're in a tough moment during a game or you get hurt, you get knocked down, what does the coach tell you to do? They're like, okay. Let's just breathe. Let's let's take a breath, right? Stay down, catch your breath. A big shot or a big pitch. And so I was like, all right. And going back to what the EMTs told me at the scene, they're like, just try to breathe. So I was like, all right, I'm going to try to breathe. I knew nothing about mindfulness except the fact that I thought people from California who ate grape nuts did it. That's the only thing I knew. I was like, <laughs> No serious executive is practicing meditation or mindfulness. So I didn't need to do that as an executive. But the athlete in me said, you know what? Breathe. You got to slow the game down. You ask every pro athlete when they're performing at their highest level, what's the difference? And most of them will say, the game's just slower for me. Mm -hmm. So they find a way to slow it down. And our breath is our body's regulator to help us slow things down. So I did a box breathing pattern. The Marines call it something different, but it's a simple breathe up for four or five, hold for four or five, breathe out for four or five, and hold for four or five. 
So I found a quiet place in the hospital, did that for five minutes, set my intentions, you know, got my head on straight, got pumped up for my rehab. And I was like, all right, that was a good day. So it was a good day. I did it the next day and I kept on doing it. Small little steps over time with some frequency. That's how we build habits. And so I started doing them more and more. And I started calling them my pause, breathe, reflect breaks because that's what I was doing. I was taking a pause, like when things get really fast, slowing it down, pausing, coming back to my breath. And the moment of reflection is key. And this is different than I think a lot of different practices because I'm being very overt about it. A lot of meditation will be like, okay, focus in on your breath, do your thing, and then boom, you leave, you move off your cushion and you go on, you know, into your day. The reflect piece is that space where you can practice gratitude, which was key for, for me in my recovery. It's also that period of time, hey, how do I want to show up? Like, what kind of ripple do I want to put into the world? Like, what do I want to say or do next? It's being intentional. It's being thoughtful. And I think this moment in time calls for more intentionality and thoughtfulness. So that's what I was doing. So every time I would take a moment, like a little micro break of five minutes, pause, connect with the breath, slow things down. And then I could think a little bit more clearly about, okay, how do I want to show up? And so PBR fit. People I thought also thought, oh, that's, that's funny. Cause I would say, Hey, I need a PBR break. And everyone thought of a beverage out of, you know, Milwaukee. Um, and I was like, no, not that PBR, like my PBR. And so this micro practice of just taking short moments throughout the day really helped me in my recovery. And then I took it into the executive suite because a lot of the people I work with, they'll tell me, Hey, listen, now, now fast forward to 2024, I get meditation could be beneficial to your point. It can actually prevent some disease from getting so big and bad that you got to go to the doctor. But I, I don't have 10 minutes in the morning. My morning's crazy. Like I'm up, I'm out, I'm going. I don't have the time to do it. And for, for them, I say, I'm going to meet you where you're at. Like if you don't have 10 minutes in the morning, cool. But I bet you have five times throughout the day where you have two minutes. Mm-hmm. So take a two-minute break before a meeting or when you're in the bathroom, or you're standing in line for your turkey sandwich at the company cafeteria. We have this time just to slow things down so we can be more thoughtful in how we make decisions. And by doing that, we can improve our focus, we can change our relationship with stress, we can improve our awareness, and a whole bunch of a whole bunch that mindfulness can give us. But really, it's about like slowing the game down, so we can respond to what's happening as opposed to what most people are doing, how most people are playing the game is they're reacting and that's not a good way to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love it. And I think it's better to do it throughout the day rather than just one time, you know, like, cause then you're, you're spreading it out in different scenarios, different things that circumstances that are going on. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I will absolutely, I know, Sirach, you know plenty of people who will do yoga mm-hmm. or practice meditation. But let's just take yoga as an example. 
they'll be like, oh yeah, I do yoga every morning. It's like my practice is awesome. And it's great. I do it too. But by 2 p.m., they're a hot mess. The whole thing's unraveled. And the question is, are you taking your yoga practice off your yoga mat and weaving it throughout your day? Same thing could be said about meditation. Are you taking your practice off your cushion that you sit on and incorporating it into your day? So, so many folks that you and I talk to have a morning routine. Awesome. But is it a way of living or is it just transactional? Yeah, like, that's huge. Hey, I'm journaling. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing my ice bath. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Awesome. You kicked ass before 6 a.m. You know, it goes back to the old commercial with the army. Like we do more by 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Our morning routines have become that. But I, my theory is that too many of us are doing them transactionally. We're doing them to keep our streak going, to get Check a badge. Check the box, right? Check the box. Check the box. They're meant to shape how we should be living throughout the day. And so pause, breathe, reflect really is about a practice that you can do in the morning, but you can weave it throughout the day so you live mindfully, so you live with intentionality, so you can make connection with the people who are around you, the people you love the most, and really focus on the things that matter most. Love it. And so you turned that into an app. Tell us about the gratitude app, or the, the whole thing is, it's, it's the PBR meditation and gratitude app, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. a... a pretty enormous catalog of meditations and gratitude practices and breath work. So my feeling was this, like I could share all this on social media on other people's platforms, but I wanted to create a space for people to come to. And as I was riding my bike across the country, we were designing the app. So the bike ride was challenging enough. So I added a layer of complexity onto it, <laughs> but I, I felt like in the space of meditation, which some would say it's crowded, we don't need another meditation app. And my feeling is, listen, until we get 8 billion people meditating, we probably need more apps. We yeah. need more conversation about the benefit of mindfulness. And our approach, I think, has a pretty distinct swim lane where we're trying to reach people in corporate life or entrepreneurial life, people that are unsure about doing this. So I approach it in a relatable way. Like I'm not a monk, you know, I'm a trained professional when it comes to meditation, but I'm coming at it from a very like reachable way to help people start with a small step. Like, okay, so you don't think you're a meditator. Cool. But I bet you can slow it down for a minute. And if you just did one minute every day for 20 days, then you start building a pretty healthy habit. So we uh, we have a swim lane that I think can really speak to a lot of people. So it's been a great creative outlet and it's been awesome to get the feedback from people. And I can't wait to see like where it goes from here. And it's, you know, it was born out of a really horrific event, you know, like my accident. Without that accident, pause, breathe, reflect probably doesn't exist. So I believe that we're all going to have challenging moments in our lives and our life is going to be defined by how 
we respond to those challenging moments. And what I'm trying to do is role model that through the app and through the other things I do to say, okay, you're going to have bad moments, but you don't have to make that bad moment turn into a bad day or longer. You can take it, grow from it. And then once you have that growth, then share it with other people, Mm -hmm. you know, put that good ripple out into the world. Yeah. I want to point out something to the audience too. It seems like that the reason that it's imperative to make it a part of your life, transformational versus transactional is that when like Tyson talked about, when people get punched in the face, the plan goes out the window or something like that. Well, when we, when we come into these difficult times or these stressful times or things happen, right? That's the time to get more committed to things that we do that work, not run from them or stop doing them at that time. So the only way to do that, to get more committed is to be committed in the first place. Right? So I love that you're doing that. Now I got to touch on the executive coaching for a second. And I want to talk about podcasting as we wind down here. What is, what has gone into the most successful executives that you've worked with? Like, what do you see the qualities are, uh, or, or, or the, um, principles are, you know, that, that they have the top executives. Great question. C-Rock. one, they know their first principles. They might have company values, but they also know their personal, uh, first principles. They know themselves. Well, they have great self-awareness. They can understand how to manage emotional responses as a way to build connection with their team members. They're also giving their team members enough space, enough autonomy, if you will, to do their work. So they're not trying to do someone else's job. They've let go of that stuff as as they work their way up um, so they can really lead a company thinking long-term two, three, five years down the road. And they get really good at clearly communicating where we're going. In today's world where there's so much chaos and there's uncertainty and instability, a great executive t- today can tell a very wonderful and clear story about where we're going as a company. They can also be clear with providing guidance and feedback to team members. They can ins- insist upon it as a culture, that we're the type of culture that hears and sees and appreciates each other. So they know where they're going. They can communicate that very clearly. They create cultures that are trustworthy so they can build connection and psychological safety. Um, They're also driven and there is a shared ownership or accountability. They can do that really well. So I think those are the qualities that we need to see more of as we go forward. But that communication piece I think is key. In our attention economy, where everyone's trying to grab our attention, leaders need to know how to communicate clearly so their team knows, hey, where are we going and what do we need to do to get there? Yeah. Love how you package that. All right. Podcasting, Michael. Podcasting. You have your own show and you also are going on shows and, and I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of that as well with you at that one agency. Uh, Michael, so what has podcasting done for you? Uh, and personally and professionally having your own show and going on other shows. Well, one, I would just have to say, shout out to your team, your team. Thank you. Your team rocks. You know, they're, they're taking your lead energetically, but also just in terms of quality. So they're awesome to deal with. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate that. 
No problem. So it's well-deserved. And as far as like going on other people's shows, it's, it's good to like connect with others and share, share my story. Every time I get on a podcast, it's another opportunity to share my story and make the sharing of the story, hopefully a little bit better, more compelling to help people take the action that they can take to create a practice of mindfulness. And having my own show, it's like I get to connect with some really cool, like-hearted people. I think that's the big thing about podcasts. It's like, here we are, we're having a chat about something really important, but we're just having a conversation and we get to share it through the airwaves and in hopes that it reaches someone. And whatever we happen to share, that one pearl or two that needs to be heard today, we can change a life. And when you change one life anywhere, I think you change lives everywhere. And as a guest, as a podcast host, I think that's the real gift. That's what I'm really grateful about podcasting. You know, it just gives, it gives me that opportunity to do that. That's awesome, man. Well, look, thank you very much for, like I said, being a part of what we're doing and also coming on my show today and sharing your story and being vulnerable and transparent, Michael. It's going to help a lot of people with the more you get this out that, 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 that don't, do what we're doing. And I got to confess something. I think sometimes I take for granted the knowledge that I have. I think we all do. And I sometimes feel like everybody, some of the knowledge that I have and wisdom I have, everybody knows that. Like when I was writing my book and I've read my book, I don't know how many times when you get, this is the part I don't want to write another book. Cause after it goes to the editor, you got to read it again, read it again, read it again. Right. And as I was reading it, I, I started thinking, Oh, who wants to read this? Everybody knows this. And we take that for granted. We forget that not everybody is where we are, you know? So I think it's important to, rec you know, recognize that. I think that is spot on. I think we're all on, we're all on different points of our journey. And so if you, if you hang with people that know to do this stuff, whether I hate other authors and all they do is write books or other meditators, you can easily believe that everyone meditates or everyone's an author. Yeah. But it's important to get out of our own like little group and realize that there's a bunch of people, no shame, no judgment, a bunch of people who just haven't been exposed to it yet for whatever reason. Like growing up, I wasn't aware of meditation, although it's been around for 2,500 years. So I came to it at the perfect moment to come to it for me. And there's someone out there listening today to say, okay, you know what? Now's the time or now's the time to be an author. And so when we get with other people who are like-minded, great. We can talk about different things that we can do to change the world. And then when we step outside and connect with others, we know that there's a, a whole bunch of others that we can bring into this. And then we get critical mass. And when we get critical mass, then we're really cooking with some hot oil. One trillion percent. Michael, thanks for being here. Hang tight while I wrap this up. By the way, oh, where can everybody see the app? I want to make sure everybody knows that. Uh, can... Apple Store and Google Play. Okay, pause, breathe, reflect, meditation, and gratitude app. Go check it out at your store, whether you have a Droid or, or Apple phone. You know the deal. Where Go where to get the apps. Look it up. You'll find it. If you have any questions, always reach out to me, and I'll make sure that you get to where you need to go. It's your boy C-Rock signing off from that one studio and the What Are You Made Of show. Until next time, be that one. Music licensing reimagined.